You're listening to Flying Casual, a Star Wars podcast. Here's your host, Michael Canterbury. Flying Casual. I'm your host, Michael Canterbury. <laughs> but not really. I'm actually hosting today. Holly's hosting. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be on the podcast that I co-host every week. But this week, we're doing Holly's Hyperspace Happy Hour. As everybody knows, this week, we're going to be talking about Phasma. So this is the book that we picked for the book club that we're going to be doing. So every month, we're going to be doing a Hyperspace Happy Hour with me, Luke, Michael, and then two other people who are going to be asked to join. Right now, we have Ashley. (laughs) And you guys all know Luke. And then over here next to me is Paige. So we are going to talk about Phasma. And Jory. Jory is joining us. I didn't forget about you, Jory. Hello. So welcome. So it's all of us. Um, So, yeah, so Jory's calling in. He's one of our... Patreon. So one of the cool things about being a Patreon donor is that you get to join in on these awesome podcasts and you get to be part of this. And so we're going to be doing this monthly with the patrons as well. Um, so welcome, Jory. All right. So we're talking about Phasma. Should we just jump into it? Let's jump in. Yeah. Let's jump in. Okay. That's what she said. There's your phrasing. <laughs> Okay, so I guess starting out, I kind of wanted to see what everybody thought. So we all know who Phasma is. She's a captain in the First Order. Um, we see her in the movies, and now we have a book about her. Um, there are also some comics, which Luke will talk about later, because I think he's probably one of the only ones at this table right now who has read them. Um, but if anybody else has read them, let us know what you think. Um, but starting with the book, I was kind of wondering, what did you guys expect from this book before you started reading it because I feel like for me I wasn't really sure what to expect and then I kind of thought it was going to go one way and be told a certain way and it was not um so what did you guys think Ashley I agree I was wondering how they could possibly go about having Phasma tell her own story because coming from her like character background it seemed like she would not be someone who would tell people about herself. So I was interested to see how they went about telling her story, which they framed with Vi and Cardinal. And I thought they did that relatively well, but that was very unique, I thought. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Luke, what did you think? Oh, exactly. It's a great point to start out with, start off with Ashley, that uh, just the framing of the story gave it a unique kind of dimension. It wasn't just, here's a story. It's, we have two timelines going. One, um, you know, a little closer to the actual sequel trilogy. And then the main storyline about the background of Phasma being like a decade earlier. That was a really cool device. Um, and yeah, really just, I knew nothing about the book going in. And it's, having read dozens of Star Wars novels at this point, it was one of the most unique Star Wars novels in the setting, in a primitive setting, in terms of the technology uh, being on a world that is somewhat decimated and and not uh, utilizing all the starships and all the the things we 
associate with Star Wars from that technological standpoint. Uh, so it gave a really unique, just like stripped down environment to look at the characters. Um, and we, you know, I wasn't like Phasma to me seems like the, and many people have said is the Boba Fett of the sequel trilogy in that she had like this cool armored character that we want to know more about. That's really hardly in the movies and doesn't really do a ton in the grand scheme of things. And uh, to have her get this like flushed out backstory um, in a pretty amazing way, like Boba Fett eventually did in the prequels and in Clone Wars and everything else. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed um, getting, getting to know her more. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I saw some people also kind of comparing her to being like the Boba Fett of the new trilogy. And I hadn't actually thought that until I read some of those other reviews that people have done on the book. And then I was like, yeah, I guess that kind of, I can see how you can make those comparisons too. But I actually hadn't thought of that until I saw other people saying that. Um, Paige, what did you think? What were you expecting? I was kind of expecting it to be more of what was going on during Force Awakens for her or like how she trains the stormtroopers. I wasn't expecting more of a desert situation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed that it was more told from a spy perspective because she's kind of like a Poe Dameron um, character. And I liked, I liked Vi a lot, but I feel like because it was kind of 10 years before, it kind of got a little confusing. Yeah. Which was a problem for me, but... I enjoyed it a lot. I wish I wish we would have gotten that backstory in the actual movies because I feel like she was underutilized, but I enjoyed um, getting to hear more about her for sure. And kind of like where she came from and getting yeah. like yeah. what we think may be her actual origin story. Although I guess that's a question for you guys. Do you yeah. think that that's actually true how she came about? Jory, did you think when you were reading it that um, Vi was kind of a reliable narrator or do you think that she kind of exaggerated a little bit and added in her own truths um i thought that she was a reliable narrator but it's probably just how it's written i mean there's always you know obviously it could be taken anyway or she could be manipulating the story but i thought that it, it was done really well um and kind of piggybacking on what luke and uh page just said it like the uh getting her backstory and then seeing her kind of as a Boba Fett, I definitely see that. But then also, um, I kind of see her in Cardinal as a little bit of like the Sith as like the rule of two, you know, taking out their, their, uh, predecessors and, and, uh, moving forward on in that direction of how they see the first order going. Yeah. I think that that's, that's really that's why I like doing these and having these conversations with everybody else because I know I had mentioned like Luke brought up the point about Boba Fett which I hadn't thought about and then I didn't think about kind of like that rule of two. Do you want to uh, do a little dive into Cardinal or do you want to do that later? Because that I think Jory bringing that up is really interesting. Like could we talk about yeah? So we kind of talked about what we think of Phasma in this. What do we think of of, of Cardinal? Um, he, he was fascinating to me. Like what stuck out to me is he seemed like very insulated. Like he only focuses on training the stormtroopers. and doesn't seem to really, I don't know. It mentions like how he hasn't had much battle experience because he's so focused on just doing the training of the soldiers. And uh, he seemed to have this notion that uh, the first order is more benevolent and altruistic than 
than what we see as an audience of the first order like um the way he talked about them that somehow phasma was so antithetical to what the first order was and that she was evil but the first order wasn't and the first order was going to do good he was really um fascinating character i wasn't expecting to encounter anything the likes of him going into the book so that was really a surprise for me yeah i actually found myself liking cardinal like a lot i don't know what it was about him but i i feel like he was kind of more honorable than what we have seen from some of the first order Mm -hmm. um i think it's just because for me when i was reading he was trying to do the right thing but when i say that he's trying to do the right thing for what he's been told is the way and he wasn't really trying to be manipulative or do something to get himself like a step ahead of everybody else which we i think historically have seen in the movies and other like comics and things like that um i'll say this is my first star wars book so i can't really say that i know anything (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you um but i can't really say that i can compare this book to any other Star Wars books or what we see from characters or any of the plots in the other books. But I did find myself liking Cardinal a lot. I liked Cardinal a lot too. I thought he was equally as interesting as Phasma in this mm-hmm. book, um, especially in terms of like learning more about the First Order. Pretty much exactly what Luke said about him being so focused on training new students that he didn't have any actual battle experience. And he like believed all these big ideals about the First Order that like we don't, see we don't see it that way and it's not it isn't really that way but you get a little taste of it with brendel when he's destroying parnassus as they're leaving mm-hmm. just basically showing like this is what the power we have and, and he's excited to do that yeah. too which is really disturbing but also not surprising not surprising right. yeah right i thought it was interesting that he cared so much about the kid yeah i mean it was i made a note that it was kind of like how the clone troopers were in a way. Um, and I know you haven't watched a lot of the Clone Wars and that's okay. I haven't. I haven't finished it either, but um, I found him more empathetic than Phasma and I felt a lot more sad for him in a way um, than I would for her. As But I love Phasma because she's like, she's outright evil, period, doesn't care. <laughs> um, but I thought like, it was interesting that he really saw Brendel as like a father figure um, and he was so, willing to protect him no matter what and it was obvious that he no one cared about him yeah no i absolutely agree um jory did you find yourself liking cardinal more than you thought you would in the beginning uh very much so um i thought that he gave the first order sort of like a humane uh perspective um he definitely uh had his softer sides, just kind of like what everybody else has said, you know, with him talking with the kids and eating with them and, um, basically very father figure, like, um, making sure and checking up on them even after, uh, they move on to, you know, with phasma. Um, and I thought that his story arc was pretty cool too, just in this short time in the book, uh, just seeing him go from, you know, rebel scum, hating this girl, hating Vi, and then, uh, you know, into the end being like, you know, I wouldn't say that he went away from the First Order, um, but he definitely has had a change of heart as to the direction that they're going and um, maybe not completely against their ideals fully, but uh, just just had a, a slight change of heart, I guess. Yeah. 
I, yeah, I thought that, that that was really interesting too because we see in the beginning he's he hasn't necessarily had those kind of interrogations before and he kind of gets it out of control, but he also doesn't really seem to care other than the fact that if he does kill her, then he's not going to get the information that he thinks that she has. But then once he gets that information, we kind of see that change from him where I, I thought, I don't know what you guys thought, but going through the book, I thought, you know, at the end, like maybe he would kill her or I, I wasn't really sure where that was going to go. So, um, Luke, you opened up the book. Um, (laughs) was there a point about, or anything about Cardinal that, um, really stuck out to you? No, I was looking at, um, I have a list of kind of Easter eggs. Yeah. Maybe we should save for a little later because okay. they're just kind of throwaway things that don't really go into the, the plot. Sorry for no, that's fine. distracting with the book. But yeah, I, I would carry on and then I just have a couple Easter eggs we can throw in towards the end. Um, I was going to say there was something in the book that I saw that I really liked um, that kind of really stood out to me when I was reading about Car- Cardinal and this is kind of what humanized him a little bit more for me and kind of like we said, I think Paige said earlier, felt kind of bad for him a little bit. Um, so if anybody read this or is going to read this, this is on page 310. Um, and it goes, um, Cardinal's training kicks in and his posture straightens. How did the rhyme go? Chin up, shoulders back, stand tall, don't be slack. Even the tiniest of his recruits can sing along, and the slogan is printed on one of the many posters plastered around their barracks and the youth cafeteria along with an image of Captain Phasma at attention, her chrome armor shining and her cape rippling behind her. The little ones look up to her and want to be her. They think of Captain Cardinal as her teacher, but it's Phasma who has become their idol. And then later down that page, um, he's thinking about that kind of um, mantra um, that they're talking about, and he says... Cardinal finds it comforting when he checks on the children at night to hear the soft murmur of the First Order's doctrine droning on, the same as when he was a child. He used to lie in bed and pretend it was his mother's kind, loving voice, even if it spoke of loyalty, courage, and the rule of law. And I kind of, I like that because he's kind of diving into that doctrine, but he's using it as a comfort for him, which I kind of thought was interesting because to me, nothing about the First Order is comforting, and I find it very harsh. Um... But to him, even these doctrines that they speak and drill into these children is a thing of comfort. And I think it has to do with the routine. Yeah, I I like that you read that passage because I remember that very well. It sticks out with me, too. And it made me, Cardinal made me wonder about another character who's not in the book at all whatsoever in in Finn. And that we know so much of the First Order, um, you know, pulls the Stormtrooper recruits from, like, presumably like orphaned or like disadvantaged kids on random planets, um, which uh, Cardinal admits uh, in his backstory, he's from Jakku, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, obviously a rough place that we know of. So it's like we can relate to Cardinal and the fact that that's where he's from and that we know what Jakku is like. And so we know uh, that the First Order actually offered an improvement on his life from what it probably was going to be on Jakku. And I think that's in this in this new canon era of the novels one major theme that i've heard a lot of other star wars commentators talk about is they humanize a lot of the imperial and first order side of things more than you got in the past where it was just like the black and white george lucas type style of like this is just pure evil versus pure good we're in a more like much more nuanced age of of good and evil in, in the way that we view star wars and so 
Um, you have a much more like sympathetic character like Cardinal, who was part of the First Order and believes in what the First Order is doing, but in a more sympathetic way. Um, and you wonder what yeah, I, I wondered more about Finn's backstory. Like we don't know much about Finn, and there, I don't know that there's much out there that that gives more of a backstory for Finn before we see him in the Force Awakens. And so, oddly enough, reading through this book. Um, Made me wondering. It made me wonder about Finn, even though, again, not mentioned anywhere in the book, not in the book mm-hmm. whatsoever. And I think that we can kind of deduce from the timing of it that Finn had trained most likely under Cardinal when he was one of the younger children. Um, since I mean, Phasma was already there too. So, I I think something else that I thought about when I was reading this was what. Um, what it was like when they were training under Cardinal since he was a little bit more empathetic towards the children and he was a little bit more nurturing and how those children might have handled the transition from training under somebody who was more nurturing to switching over to Phasma Um, because I feel like that would be a really big difference and I mean probably really scary especially because they are really just children at this point. I don't know if that's something that you guys thought about when you were reading it. Can I interject? Yes. I don't have a microphone. Four mics. We can hear you. There's engineering, so hello, guys. Um, but we got Brent also in the YouTube chat. We got a, a, a stream going. He's unable to make a Skype call. So he's like, I enjoyed the dichotomy between Cardinal and Phasma. Cardinal, to him, represented the Imperial Remnant in the First Order, and Phasma was really the evolution to a more like murderous First Order officer. So that's like when you're talking about the nurturing of the kids, I mean, yeah, going from that to Phasma, who literally doesn't give a shit about anyone. Yeah. Uh, but herself. So, yeah, keep it coming, Brent. Keep it coming. Yeah, that was good. Please, more from Brent. <laughs> there was one thing that I struggled with with Cardinal, and that was he was, like, supposed to be such a model officer. He was a high-up officer. I mean, he was in Brendel's, like, personal guard at one point. So, like, I feel like he would not just flip easily. It would have to take something really monumental for him to start questioning his beliefs that he's been that he has held for such a long time so I found myself thinking a lot about like what is it because he kidnapped Vi and decided that he was going to go against you know what he's been taught and secret her away and torture her on his own secretly why did he suddenly decide to do that and I feel like there has to be something and, you know, maybe it was Brendel's death. There's not really a timeline on, like, when that specifically happened. Mm-hmm. And maybe that sparked, you know, why he decided to start questioning these things and go on a search for this vengeance against Phasma. Or if it was just, like, a slow burn from her rise and he was just, like, getting more and more angry about it. But I struggled a little bit with that. It's, it takes a lot for someone to so intensely, like, indoctrinated like that to change their mind easily right no i agree um because the beginning he's like i wrote down in my notes he's like the first order is like kind of this great opportunity i was like it's like an equal opportunity kidnapper <laughs> you know and he's like i love all these like um was they watched like the deprogramming videos yeah. and they were comforting to him and then all of a sudden towards the end of the book he's like kind of on vice side i feel like it's kind of a combination of the two between Brendel's death and then Hux and all of them with Phasma. I feel like there's such a 
BFFs, you know, <laughs> that like Cardinal saw that he wasn't going to be important anymore. So he had to like cut his losses and realize that either I get rid of Phasma or I find some other way to be important or I get out. Or Phasma gets rid of me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think he knew that she's not this person who's going to do what's best for the First Order. She's going to do what's best for her. Yeah, which we see time and time again throughout this novel, right? Um, I think, going back to Ashley's question, because uh, I thought about that too, and I was like, maybe based on how we saw Cardinal in the beginning, that did seem a little bit out of character. But I think maybe Paige said earlier, he kind of viewed Brendel as a father mm -hmm. figure because he was taken from his parents at such a young age and he didn't really have that structure I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I don't really know. But to me, I think that it comes back to he saw her, well, he assumed that she had something to do with Brendel's death, and then it was confirmed to him in that story, and then it was this person is out to get all of us because she doesn't believe in our values, and that has to be stopped. But I don't know. Uh, Jory, did you think anything about that? Honestly, I think everything that I've been thinking has already been said. You guys are killing it over there. It's uh, <laughs> no, I I definitely think that um, as far as like you know what you just said, Holly, is uh, with him uh, seeing Brendel as the father figure. I think that's spot on. Um, you know, as as kids, and and I know Luke can attest to this. I mean, kids, they from a young age, they just, they look to someone to, to learn and, you know, and to, um, bring them up. And, you know, it, it was, if that's really the only person that they've had, then, you know, obviously he's going to grow a real attachment, you know, towards him. And then, you know, even like we were saying earlier, it seems like he took an, like an extra special, uh, like just, just a, a special look into all of them you know, making sure that they're doing well. And Cardinal seemed like he was a, an exception because, you know, he went through the ranks and, and he, and he just kept leveling up, leveling up. And, um, so he probably, you know, credited most of his success to Brendel. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Jory, uh, taking off on the, the idea that's been brought up several times of Brendel Hux being like the dad of the first <laughs> order. Like, <laughs> It, it they, the author Delilah Dawson really seems to go out of her way to you know show that this dude is not cool, not honorable, yeah. not at all. And so like the first order has this sort of um, deadbeat dad in a way. <laughs> like the whole first order uh, has this this guy who's who's not so hot. So you can kind of see how the product of uh, having a father like that like can create a whole bunch of people who really suck. So yeah. You know, that, that, that idea is kind of driven home over and over again uh, throughout the book. Yeah. And he must have did something all right, though, just because, I mean, as we see at the end, that Cardinal did question, you know, what's going on and, you know, kind of question where is this taking us and, you know, and I don't know if it was a morality check or if it was just a, you know, am I not going to be a part of what's going on? But, you know, something happened there correctly to make him uh, see the error in his ways. So Brett actually chimed in again. I got a couple of uh, 
Pussy probably. He said, yeah, there, let me get in that microphone. <laughs> Hello. There he is. What's up? Put that thing in my mouth. Phrasing. That's what she said. <laughs> no one else is going to say it, so I will. <laughs> um, yeah, you'd think this would work, too, and it doesn't. Um, so he said, uh, I see that. <laughs> well, I got a camera on me. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep, I got a camera, but no mic. said, I, uh, I think Cardinal misunderstood Phasma's purpose in the First Order. Phasma was trying to bring back... Uh, Phasma was brought back by Brindle to take the Stormtroopers to the next level. Um, Cardinal lays the foundation of listening without question, and then Phasma teaches them to destroy a village without question. If Cardinal understood this, he would not have any reason to try to dethrone Phasma. So I think that that's actually a really good point, because we see... Thank you, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. To be clear, that was not Mike. That was yeah. Brent. That was Brent. <laughs> I think Mike's trying to take credit for Brent here. That was all Brent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing that stood out to me when I was reading the book because I like to break that down a little bit more. Um, there was a point in the book where we were seeing things from Siv's perspective, mm-hmm. and she was questioning Phasma's leadership. Mm-hmm. She was questioning the way that Phasma was responding to Brendel and then later was making comments on how Brendel would hide behind the stormtroopers that were with him, how he would refuse to acknowledge that they have a name because now they have numbers. Um, they're not they're not people to him. They're truly just a number, right? So he doesn't really care what happens to them as long as he gets what he wants from them, right? That's kind of how I was interpreting that. And I think that Delilah Dawson did a really good job of writing from Siv's perspective where we kind of see this other side of Brendel that Cardinal maybe hasn't seen because he hasn't actually been out there in the field per se seeing all the decisions that Brendel's making on that end and how he's handling those situations and kind of like cowering behind the men that he wants to be or the women as well when we see Phasma come in because I think Phasma's one of the first, or maybe the only female stormtrooper? No, one of them was a girl. One of them's a girl. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's not very many, but he really is cowering behind them and not really stepping up to lead. Um, so I thought that that was something really striking to me where we kind of see he's not that great. He is a coward. He's not a good leader. He's just good at giving commands. Yeah. I think Siv was actually a really good example of so they utilized her to show this this whole thing of following orders without question. And when Siv, she talked a lot about how she would follow Phasma, whatever she did, even though she was questioning internally Phasma's you know, strategies and how she had changed since they left their land, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce because in my head it's probably not at all what it actually okay, is. Okay, I, so. I thought it was pronounced Parnasso. Parnasso. Oh, like the sky. The, the sky. The sky. Yeah, the sky. Is that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, um, then when Siv actually did not follow her order and she didn't kill when they were in with the Arachu and she didn't kill Randrus. God, so annoying. I could take a stab at that one. Randrus. She didn't kill him and then she paid for it. I mean that yeah. was like the moment that changed, and it it was a it was a really good storytelling tool because Phasma was then able to show Brendel, I had this one person mm-hmm. under my you know my subordinate who didn't follow my leadership, and now I'm just cutting her out, and that's the end. There is no second chance. You're just out. And then Brendel was able, you know, he could see like she's serious. She's shown me 
that she can take this step or this leadership position that I'm thinking about grooming her for. And I thought that was, like, a really, really good storytelling tool. Yeah. I also think that that one scene in particular where Siv realizes that she's being left behind really said so much about Phasma because in the beginning of the book, her tribe of people, they weren't having children. They really didn't have anybody to train to be warriors. When you turned 40, you were considered elderly at that point, right? And so at that time... They were doing everything that they could to protect the children, any women that were pregnant, make sure that they could have these children grow up to become productive members of their clan. I said tribe earlier. I meant clan. Um, and then we see, we know that Siv is pregnant. Phasma knows that. She tells Siv that. And then we still see her when she gets to this point where she thinks that she's going to be able to go to the First Order and have new people to be with. She doesn't care. Mm-hmm. She's like, you're staying behind. You don't matter. The fact that you're pregnant doesn't matter. I don't need you anymore. And we don't need the child that you may or may not have. Yeah, it's, I think it's uh, it's unfortunate we haven't gotten to Siv until now because she's a fantastic character. Mm-hmm. And uh so much, even though the book's called Phasma, so much of the story is is in a way about her. And uh, one one other piece of Civ, I kind of the biggest piece of technology in a book that is, um, you know, light on the technological aspects of Star Wars is um, Civ's detractors. I think mm-hmm. they're called. Yeah. Uh, for utilizing like all the resources that you can on this desolate planet, and it it helps illustrate how desperate these people's lives are. That when anything dies, including their own family, their own clan, the, the resources left in their physical body uh, are harvested immediately and then used for the protection and benefit of the rest of the tribe. So that was, you know, I can't recall really coming across so stark uh, a, a plot device in, in, a, in a book before to show like how desperate a situation people are in. It was really fascinating that they, they slather the dead remains mm-hmm. of their ancestors <laughs> and, and other beasts and things um, all over their body for protection and for nourishment because they are so like malnourished and, and beat up by their surroundings. So it, it was great to show like, and I think it, it gets to the point how an authoritarian um, autocratic system like the First Order can be appealing in a certain way when you come when you juxtapose it against something as chaotic and, um, you know, dangerous as life on uh, Parnassus and amongst the Skyer, uh, getting out and then becoming a part of the First Order is by far an improvement because there's shelter, safety, nutrition, uh, and technology available. So I thought that was that, that all was really amazing. I like the sort of religious aspects of it too, where they had said the certain phrases mm-hmm. when they, um, I should have written them down or maybe someone can pull it up, but uh, body to body, dust to dust. Yes. Yeah, yes. There yeah. it is. I thought that was powerful. <laughs> like, the, you know, like you can go through that sort of religious, like intonation. Um, so yeah. So Siv, Siv was fantastic. I thought. I did too. And the detractors <laughs> page. Oh God, I hate it. I mean, it was, I thought it was a really good plot device, but like it just, gross me out from a germ <laughs> perspective. Um, but, you know, going back to what we said before about Cardinal kind of going against the First Order, I wonder if after hearing about how she betrayed Siv, after hearing all of that, maybe that might have been what changed his mind. Because 
I mean, if she's going to betray someone she's known her almost her entire life, she'll betray you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was a point in the story where, um, V, are we saying V or Vi? I think it's Vi. Vi. I've been saying Vi. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've been saying V, but <laughs> I don't actually know. But like short for Violet. Sure. See? <laughs> right. Um, I think that was the point in the story where, um, when we were hearing it from Vi's perspective, when they were back on the absolution, she uh, kind of took note that that part of the story kind of seemed to get to Cardinal mm-hmm. a lot, and he seemed to be kind of shaken by that. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if you guys thought it was strange, the things that she decided to point out kind of startled Cardinal more than other things, because I feel like they were things that didn't startle me as much, but seemed to really kind of make a big have a big impact on him like the detractors and not using them and then when she kind of was like forget all these other values and we're gonna I'm gonna go with the first order well I I'm one who kind of disagrees with the part of the premise we've been talking about here that Ashley brought up and I think it's it's interesting in that um whether or not Cardinal has changed the way he feels. Um, I don't know if Jory thought along these lines at all, but to me, it was not so much um, cardinal changing, almost a Jory changing. Jory's <laughs> cardinal. Um, uh, maybe it's just because he talked about rearing children. And that's, <laughs> that's a cardinal thing to do. Um, it, it, I don't think it's so much... Um, cardinal changing but rather feeling like people leading the first order are betraying the first order and that he's the one staying the course and maintaining what it is to be the first order and that's why he's doesn't want phasma around um i know i'm putting a lot of words in jory's mouth so let's hear from jory (laughs) no that's that's a really good uh perspective there luke i never even thought of it that way um i do think that the different uh, <clears throat> I don't know how to say this all right I do think that the first order definitely is starting to change and go in a, in a separate direction as to what say the empire was or um, what the foundation of the first order was meant to be um, but I do still think that Cardinal and this is just in my opinion that Cardinal did have that slight change at the end um, you know just a slight change of heart um, I actually really enjoyed the character of Cardinal. Um, he was he was really well written, and uh, you got a lot of his thoughts in behind of you know you saw a I don't want to say a sentimental character, but a just somebody that that did care for people um, in a way that we haven't seen anyone in the First Order or really the Empire um, ever do in Star Wars. Yeah, like when he got wasted (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was a that was a surprise because at that point he was kind of like fine you know what i'm gonna do what i've never done before that's how dire the situation is not quite give up but he's not willing to try anymore almost yeah um i thought that part was really like telling for his character that it was like the end almost for him. But I do think it was interesting when he was basically killed, quote unquote, yeah. by Phasma. 
he he was just like, leave me alone. I'm dying I'm now, dying. and I would rather die than see the First Order go this way. Mm-hmm. So um, going along with that, since you brought that point up, were you guys surprised when Vi came back to save him, or did you kind or save him, or I guess more so rescue him at that point for whatever reason she decided that she should do that for? Were you surprised by that, or did you kind of expect it? I, I kind surprised. of expected it. Yeah. Um, I feel like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. She, in theory, like in real life, if you were a resistance fighter on this ship, even if you thought that Cardinal was defecting and he might be worth saving, that you would leave. You would get out as quickly as possible. And she did not. And it didn't seem like she had a strong like emotional connection to him more than just like she was trying to get him to defect. But she wasn't like, oh, this I have to like save this man. I didn't really feel that, but I felt like the story, just the way it was told, like she was going to obviously come back, even though realistically that wouldn't be the case. Yeah. Do you guys feel like she she kind of sensed the conflict in him and thought he's vulnerable at this point, so if we are going to be able to get him to join the resistance and kind of use him as a tool for intel, which I think ultimately is what she was trying to get him to join for, right? Um, that that would be the time to do it. But I've just thought, it, in a way, it mirrors in The Last Jedi, um, Ray and, and Kylo's relationship to some degree, where Vi comes to see things, see, comes to see what she wants to see in Cardinal in a way that, like, I think I can turn him. Um, rather than just say, like, let me go and let me be, she's like, you should come join the Resistance, like a, a whole step beyond, just let me go. And it's sort of the same thing when when right Rye. Malbec. It's the Darth Malbec. <laughs> Next, I'll have a, a whiskey rye. There um, it is. When when Ray thinks that she can, um, you know, turn Kylo once they've defeated the Praetorian Guard and and Snoke, um, it's like, all right, now stop stop them blowing up the ships and uh, let's you know be the resistance together. It'll be great. Um, and he's like, no, that's not what this is about. This is about me taking over the First Order. And I think it's it's very. Um, Reminiscent of that with um, Vi in, in Cardinal where um, when she makes that offer and he's like, no, I have to save and preserve my first order. I'm not running off and, and, and joining the resistance. And um, it's wonderful how the, the conversation can just bring that out. That wasn't a thought I had reading yeah. the book earlier. It's just based <laughs> off like what everyone's been saying. And that's like, oh, you know, like there's a weird connection. Yeah. I, I also, now that we're having that conversation, Okay, I'm not caught up on Clone Wars, but I'm almost caught up on Rebels. And um, kind of what it makes me think of is when Zeb and Callus get stuck on that planet. I don't remember the name of the planet. Somebody can tell me. I forget. Uh, Luke? But I think it was a moon of, of it something. It was a moon. You're right. It was a moon. <laughs> but was it a moon of Geonosis, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to go with it. And if we're wrong, you can tell us. Uh, but it kind of reminded me of you know, kind of like we're not on the same side, but now we have the same goal Um, or we can use each other to, you know, we can mutually, it can be like a symbiotic relationship, I guess, in a way where it's like, we're not friends. We're not like on the same side, but you did something for me and I'm an honorable person and now I'm going to do something back. So do you guys think like, because we don't know how that turned out when she came back and she rescued Cardinal, right? So we don't know if, he was like, well, I'm with the resistance now, or if he is going to go back. I guess he couldn't at that point go back to the First Order. I don't think so. No. <laughs> I think it's, it's too, he's too far gone. Mm-hmm. So do you guys think that he would leave? 
the resistance? I kind of do. I think that he, if he survived, if he made it to the med bay back on Parnassus and they cured him, that he would not necessarily stay there, but I don't think that he would go to the resistance. Now, he might do something for Vi to say, okay, you saved my life, like you said. You did something for me, so I'll do something for you, but I don't think that he would just, like, full-on join the resistance. I think he's probably Claude in episode nine, that big slug thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, after his injuries and stuff, and, like, we we can't just fully... repair him we're going to, have to use some alien parts <laughs> by the time they put him back together he ended up as the as claude the big you know slug thing on the millennium falcon at the beginning of the opposite Rise of, of like the shell of the man he used to be right <laughs> so, yeah um <laughs> I, I i was a I, I was a little surprised i know most everyone uh, at the table said they they weren't surprised that vi came back and saved him i was ready for him to die as a symbol of phasma's ascendancy yeah um, but almost in most of these new canon books, I think the direction to most of the authors is not to kill most characters because they want all the sequel possibilities to be wide open. Um, so I guess I shouldn't have been surprised knowing, you know, other, many of the other books I've read and, and they're all almost all end in a way that you're like, there's definitely going to be a sequel to this. Um, but I guess the only one I haven't heard from um, in terms of, were they surprised Vi saved, or presumably saved Cardinal, we don't know his ultimate fate, really, but came back for him. Jory, were you <laughs> at all surprised by that, or was that kind of, like, oh, expected that no, one? No, I was definitely surprised. Um, I I definitely, maybe it's just my, me being naive, uh, but uh, I don't always guess through books. So seeing uh, her, you know, because going back to like what Ashley originally said is like she almost had to stay there for a couple days, you know, because they she had to stay on the ship for a couple days and then see, you know, Cardinal go down and uh, find him and take him, you know, and, and escape at that point. So seeing that part of it, um, it was definitely a surprise to me. Um, and going back to, you know, would Cardinal join up with the resistance and I don't know if he would or not. Um, but I do think that there's a good possibility. And the only reason I say that is because, um, his whole life has been about structure and you take away the structure, you take away a cause, you know, um, it would be very hard for him to just go and kind of live, live as a hermit, um, or, or move away from something. So you, you leave one cause to join another and, you know, whether it be, um, I don't know if it would be a, a high ranking official or not in the first order. Um, but to take away basically his whole life, um, and upend it. And then, you know, for him to figure out what to do, I think that he would, he would take up to something to do with the first order or I'm sorry, to do with the resistance. Yeah. And then, The more you think about it, though, the more you're like, would he come back and he would have so much conflict about that? Because I feel like in his mind, he would be like, well, does that make me any different than Phasma? Because if she's going to kind of throw people under the bus and then like jump from one cause to another. And then if he does defect to the resistance, I just I don't know what that would do for him, how he would handle that. Yes, Brent. Yes, Brent. I'm speaking on behalf (laughs) of Brent. Uh, I come with a statement. Uh, so Brent, yeah, there, there we go. Can you hear me better now? <laughs> That's more. 
lot better. Uh, on the record. On the record. So Brett said he seemed, uh, talking about Cardinal, he seemed like an honorable person and would have probably joined the resistance to thank Vi for getting him out. So Brett thinks he would. I think that Cardinal would be a really big asset. In other words, Brent is in on the Claude theory. <laughs> <laughs> He's with Luke. I, I think it's actually now this, I just thought of this, like maybe it is a real possibility because he might have even more of a chip on his shoulder and he would use it as an opportunity to go after Phasma specifically. Even if he's like, okay, well, there's going to be some casualties along the way in terms of going after the first order, but his like main goal would be like, okay, well, I can use this to go for Phasma specifically. Maybe. That's true. <laughs> and then that kind of leads the question, where is he now? <laughs> I've already answered that. Uh, done yeah. and dusted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, Paige, what do you think? It's 50-50. <laughs> I mean, I think if he saw Finn there, that would be an interesting situation. And, you know, we do see in The Rise of Skywalker, we do see others who have defected because they did not agree with the way that things were being handled. So this isn't this isn't necessarily as uncommon as yeah. maybe you think it is if you're watching the original trilogies. Because um, if I was only watching that, I w there's no way. Yeah. Maybe he's on the moon. Right? With everybody else. <laughs> Can I drop a spoiler? <laughs> it depends. <coughs> if, you, spoiler. if you were at Celebration uh, in Chicago and Holly and I were there at the uh, Lucasfilm publishing panel, Remember that? I do. Delilah Dawson oh. spilled the oh, beans. Yeah. Delilah Dawson spilled the beans. Yeah. She said, which Michael reminded me of. You're welcome. We had this conversation about a week ago. Okay. So here's a spoiler since most of you probably were not at Celebration. Um, secretly, I was there. Secretly, <laughs> Ashley was there. Um, so on the panel, she said somebody, she said she got the go-ahead to create a new, either a new novel or actually a new series. I forget exactly how she worded it, but she said there will be a familiar character that you will be hearing from again. And everybody in the audience said Cardinal. And she mm. was just like, uh-huh. Interesting. But So that was, that was April, right, of 2019. Um, because what's really interesting, I haven't read this book yet, but um, since I enjoyed... Delilah's work here, I'm probably going to pick it up soon, is the um, Galaxy's Edge mm -hmm. novel. Um, I think it's called Black Spire or yeah. something yeah. like that. Um, I wasn't too intrigued of when it got released around the park's opening because I don't know when, if, if ever, I'm get, getting to Disney, maybe when the kids are, are a little older. That's just the reality. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not hauling a five-month-old to Disney right now, but... Uh, Just put him on a pack and carry him around, <laughs> yeah. like little baby Yoda. They, they probably yeah. charge... They, I'm, like, most places, you know, like, under one is, like, free... Uh, under two, almost, like, free almost everywhere. I bet Disney charges, but whatever. Kids uh, not going to get anything Oh, that's guaranteed. They'll charge you. Yeah, but anyways... Okay. We're going to get put on the blacklist now. This episode <laughs> will mysteriously disappear after we air are, it. So. Are we 100% certain she wasn't referring to Vi? Because I know she's a main character of that Black Spire novel. So we're not. She did okay. not... She did Which, not dispute everybody saying it was Cardinal. Okay. <laughs> I'm, do you have something I to disagree. contribute? It was very apparent. That it was Cardinal? Yes. She, yeah, everyone yelled Cardinal, and she gave an affirmative <laughs> answer, kind of. I don't know. So maybe I, this I is don't a know. book maybe, yet to be published, even. Yeah. Okay. Disclaimer, um, just so Disney doesn't sue flying casual, thank three you. years and under is free. Oh, <laughs> what, what age? Three. 
three. Oh, holy wow. So I need to go to Disneyland. <laughs> Maybe I need to go. My son next, turned like four months. Yeah, my son turns three in April. The clock you is guys, ticking on a free. No pressure, but go to Disney soon. Um, okay. I, I have, have a quick question. Oh, yes. Just because it's like speaking to other books written by Delilah Dawson. Is this Canto Bite book out already? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there's just, there's like a preview in this one. I was like, maybe I could. Yeah, that one's like three or four <laughs> short stories okay. based oh. in right. and around Canto Bite, I think. But I, just don't I don't know, know that much more about okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a question for you guys because uh, when I was looking at other people's ratings and reviews on the Phasma book, I saw conflicting responses. What did you guys think about the pacing? Because I know, Paige, you had mentioned that it kept jumping back to 10 years ago. And when yeah. I, so disclaimer, when I think about what I know about facts that were told to me from something that happened 10 years ago, I don't think that I could accurately recount anything that mm -hmm. happened that long ago. But that's just me. Um, I like to think I have a very good memory. Uh, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> but did you guys think that it was kind of hard to keep jumping back and forth, or do you think that that was done in a way that you could follow easily? You know how I am with jumping around with time. Um, I thought it was hard the first time I listened. Um, I actually listened to it twice. Um, that was me. Um, and I think listening back to it a second time helped a lot. But I think jumping around really heard the book a lot. I don't think it was as clear. And towards the end of the book, because of the second listen, I realized that Phasma went back and the whole situation, she was making her armor. I didn't even realize that until the second time I listened, to be honest. I, I had a question no idea. about listening. When you listen to mm -hmm. it, do they like tell you the title of each yeah. chapter? Okay, they, they said do. like okay. 10 years ago on Parnassus, sure. okay. which was like, I'm like, sure, all right. And then I'm like, they're like, I'm in the desert. There's a lot of desert happening, and <laughs> we I was were, just yeah. like, I'm so tired of the desert. Well, that's the other thing is that I, for me, I I was intrigued the whole time. Like I feel like this was a very easy read for me, and I was able to follow along and keep track of the events that were happening. But at some point, I did feel like it got a little bit repetitive in the first half of the book, where we're walking through the desert. There's more desert. We're on the absolution. Cardinal is making it clear that Vi isn't giving him what he wants, and then we're back to the desert. I kind of feel like it was just a lot of walking in the desert. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Did you guys think it was a little bit repetitive? Jory, did you think it was a little bit repetitive in the beginning with that? Um, so I think it's always kind of just how your experience is while reading the book or listening as Paige and I do. Um, because so for me, the, the back and forth didn't bother me at all. Um, but I was able to listen to this in like a seven hour stretch where I got like basically, gosh, almost three quarters of the way through the book all at once. Um, so like that for me didn't, didn't affect my, um, my listening. Um, but if it was chopped up for somebody, which I don't know how Paige was able to listen to it, it was chopped. but <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. So if you were listening to it and you had to listen to it and say 45 minute increments or however it was for you, um, I definitely feel like, you know, you were like, we've been in the desert for two weeks now, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's just, you know, how how you're able to do it um, with my job. Uh, I actually I was out doing uh, some snow plowing and stuff like that. So 
for like seven hours, I was able to listen to it and, and I was able to advance through most of the book in one listen. Um, but I definitely see how it can definitely affect you. Yeah, you know, guys, I do have to tell you that I read most of this book while I was walking on a treadmill. So I do feel like I was walking through the desert with Phasma. (laughs) So that actually may be part of the problem. I'm imagining So like our parents, uphill, through the snow. (laughs) Yeah. It was right, 3.5% incline at (laughs) 2.6 speed. I'm imagining, like, uh, the parts of the book where they were in the the like tanked like vehicles eventually they, they didn't have to walk on foot i'm imagining jory pretending he was in one of those <laughs> he as he's working <laughs> like the snowplow or whatever like i mean yeah that would have been amazing jory i felt like i was actually on hoth instead of uh, in the <laughs> desert so ah yes yes holly's homeland that's my homeland in case you guys missed it on the last episode or two episodes ago i guess yes guys brent j- it's very hard to not laugh out loud. Um, I didn't realize Brent was such a comedian, but Brent said he just figured it out. The reason Cardinal left was because he found out what was going out on Exegol, and he realized he was no longer the only trooper with red armor. There. Hysterical, Brent. I love it. Took his red armor. Yeah. Um, Sith troopers. Guys, somebody else that we haven't talked about at all this entire conversation, who I think we should bring into the conversation, is Keldo. Oh, oh my guy. <laughs> we haven't talked about Keldo once, but I feel like Phasma's relationship with Keldo is extremely important when we're yeah, talking yeah. about, I guess, her character arc and who she is. Are we boring you with the <laughs> Oh, Keldo? no, no, sorry. Just in- engineering. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Oh, so I don't know. What it? How did you guys think about the relationship between um, Keldo and Phasma, or how Phasma kind of used him? I thought that, like, at first, it didn't make any sense when he brought the whole clan after them. Yeah. I was like, "You're just gonna sacrifice everyone. Yeah. Why are you doing this?" Yeah, that escalated quickly. <laughs> so I was surprised, and I, was, I thought it was a little bit like unbelievable. Like, why is this? Why is he doing this? Well, then they made it clear why mm-hmm. uh-huh. later on when they showed that she, you know, basically cut his leg She's off. She's the worst. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that makes a little bit more sense that he's he's out for vengeance. He's out for blood. He wants, mm-hmm. he's like, I will sacrifice everyone here <laughs> to kill her. And she almost created that. She created a monster because yeah. if she hadn't have done that to him, he wouldn't have felt the need to sacrifice their clan but because she said, I basically am going to sacrifice you, he said, okay, well, I'll sacrifice everybody. So he, he she created this, like, character yeah. with him. And now they're all gone, except for Siv and Phasma. Yeah. yeah and I, I guess Siv's... I love that reveal at the end. And that was the last, sort of the way the book is laid out in the plot device of Vi as the narrator. That scene was the last... I think the last scene she tells the yeah. Cardinal mm-hmm. from Parnassos is uh, the reveal that Phasma maimed... Keldo, which I, w- I didn't see coming. I don't no. know if anyone Mm-mm. else did because it was easy to think growing up in the harsh environment that he did that something happened or it was even like a birth defect. I yeah. thought it was a genetic. Yeah. I thought yeah. he was yeah. born that, that, that way. That maimed him, but no. Um, to, to hear that they were a different clan other than the Skyre, mm-hmm. and then she was able to just weasel her way into this into the Skyre in the way that she did. 
Weasel is a great word for that. Like, yeah. it's the it perfect is. way to describe yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I was like, Whoa. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think that often when I read books, I find that I can kind of guess what's going to happen at the end. But that one was kind of like a nice surprise for me because I didn't see that specific part coming. And I was like, wow, like now we understand so much more about why she is the way that she is. Like she's, we can assume, always been like this. Yeah. But I don't know. So I thought that that was pretty telling that she's never going to change her ways. And if something better than the First Order comes along, she surely will move on to it. I have a question for you guys about kind of playing off that. She realizes at the end, or she, I mean, she like knows all along that Frey, the child, Mm -hmm. is Keldo's daughter. So, and she, you know, she's willing to give up everyone. Everyone is dead. So why does she take Frey? She wants there to be someone else who isn't really a witness because she's too young to remember any of this. Mm But w- why she could just leave her with Siv and say, you know, we don't need you. You're uh, you're expendable, and you're you aren't anything. You haven't even you're not old enough to show that you are, right. you know, any like really defining characteristics. Well, they don't they don't talk about that in the book, anyways. Yeah. Um, so like, is she taking Frey because she feels somewhere deep down feels something for Keldo's daughter, some family member? But. Doesn't she also get rid of Frey yeah. later? It's yeah, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I guess we don't know for sure. It was it was what a training accident. accident yeah. Um, but it but now that you're that's a great question, Ashley. Because what's the point in taking Frey if later you're just gonna kill her because you think that she could be somebody who kind of spills your secrets, right. throws you under the bus? Mm-hmm. That's a really great question, Jory. Do you about that. have any thoughts about that? No, I definitely was just about to chime in. Um, I don't understand that at all. Um, you know, you take her knowing that you want to cover up everything about your past, and then, you know, you let her grow up, you know, even if it's just a little bit, and then you're like, well, you know what? You're done. You know, uh, I just I, I don't get it at all um, as to why she did that, unless it was to save face with, um, with Siv. Um, which is it, that even doesn't really make sense to me because, you know, she expected Siv to, uh, to perish on Parnassus. So I'm not really sure as to, as to why she did that. So is it like, oh, a a weird, I guess if I'm speaking from Phasma's point of view, uh, moment of weakness where she just kind of was like, I actually do care for this person. And then later, like, what was I thinking? I don't think so. I think it might have been like a prototype situation where she could be like to Brendel, hey, look what I can do. And then Frey might have gotten like loose lips and she's like, goodbye. Yeah. I could, I could see a little bit as the last vestige of her ties to her old life and that the clan was everything and the, any children that come of the clan are of utmost importance because without them there's, there's no future. And maybe she hadn't quite shed every last bit of that life at the time she was ready to leave uh, with the First Order. And so she let Frey come along. It's a, li- a little bit of, you know, that she had some softness left, some some part of her that wasn't fully um, selfish yet. 
And then like Paige was saying, but eventually when it became yeah. inconvenient, yeah. then she was like, all right, the last little bit I'm, I'm cutting off and I'm, I'm going just full all phasma. about me yeah. and the full <laughs> phasma. Yeah. I mean, I mean, really, I think I saw somebody on the internet was just like, it's just a book about phasma, phasma-ing until she's <laughs> yeah. no longer yep. going to be phasma, which yep. I mean will only happen when she like ceases to exist, yeah. which... Speaking of that, <coughs> I rewatched The Last Jedi today. Good. I was I was Come gonna on. ask if you yeah. didn't. Yeah. Go. <laughs> um, you guys heard my list. If you haven't listened to that episode, we all said what we ranked our favorite Star Wars movies. Um, the Last Jedi wasn't really up there for me, but rewatched it today because I wanted to see a little bit more Phasma before uh, you know this conversation. Because something that really bothered me as I was reading this book was I kind of feel like in The Last Jedi, Phasma's death, or maybe not, we're, maybe we're not sure if she died, but they lead you to believe that she is probably dead. That felt kind of anticlimactic for me mm-hmm. after reading the book. When I watched the movie, it wasn't. And I know Luke and I had this conversation before, and it kind of was, we said it was what Finn having his moment, right? But then while I was reading the book, I was like, she's gone through so much, and she's had, like, bigger opponents that she's taken down seemingly very easy, right? And for it to be done by Finn in the book just kind of didn't really sit well for me. Um, And I understand why it was done in the movie that way, but... I don't know. What did you guys think? Did you guys think about that? I agree with you. I thought when I watched the movie that that scene was quite anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. I was expecting more from Phasma, especially based on, like, we know Finn is a trained stormtrooper, but he hasn't really shown himself to be, like, an especially, especially, <laughs> like, excellent warrior. So it seemed very anticlimactic to me. Um, after reading the book, I think... It's almost satisfying to know that, like, a defected stormtrooper is who took her down. Yeah. After you know kind of the storyline, and even Cardinal wasn't able to do so, but one of his own students was. So that made it a little bit sweeter mm-hmm. for And me. even one of Phasma's own students. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and even each subsequent movie sort of adds and changes to the rest of the movies in the series. And what we get in Rise of Skywalker are the hits of uh, Finn's force capabilities that could add some credence to his ability to take her down as, as well if you kind of re- retroactively yeah yeah and she would never suspect it so i guess that would that would be a surprise to her she wouldn't see that coming maybe i don't know scum. <laughs> that's right rebel scum. <laughs> you know i i don't know why but i do I don't know. Okay, so last week I was like, what are the best insults in that have been thrown around in Star Wars? And I looked at this list, I think it was on Ranker, and somebody put Chrome Dome mm-hmm. as, like, number three or number four. <laughs> and I was like... Uh, I don't know. I, but I guess, I guess that it fits with that relationship, but I don't know. I, rewatching the movie today, I was like, here comes that line, <laughs> and it came... Scruffy-looking lo- nerf herder, that top of the list for me, i That I'd one's say. a good one. Somebody also put Goldenrod on that list, which <laughs> I didn't think was meant to be an insult to C-3PO, but maybe I'm just interpreting it incorrectly. Are we, 
Are we ready for Easter eggs by any chance? Yeah. Well, okay. Let's get to the Easter eggs. Before that, oh. can hey. I interject? Okay. Go ahead. Oh, well, just real quick. Uh, Britt said, um, I think the last chapter makes Finn defeating her even better. Her armor is made from Emperor Palpatine's mm-hmm. pleasure yacht. <laughs> it wasn't plastoid, but made from Durasteel. Nubian yacht. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, Nubian. <laughs> <laughs> Jory. Well, just going back to um, The Last Jedi, and uh, I think some of the reasons why, you know, with Ryan Johnson and, like, the criticisms that it gets, because I was with you, Holly, um, you know, it sits pretty low. Um, And then I rewatched, and I actually started, you know, ranking it a little bit higher. But some of the biggest criticisms it gets is because it seems like, he took what JJ did and he's like, well, you know what? I'm just going to throw it all out the window. And the reason why people say that is um, because of characters like Phasma, who, I mean, even to be honest, we still have yet to really get inside Phasma's head, even to this point. Um, you know, even in any of the movies, we didn't really see um, much from Phasma. Um, in this book, we didn't get anything from Phasma's perspective. We got tales from Phasma, you know, and her story, but it's told third person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it, it, it almost, in that movie with her demise and the anticlimactic part of it, you don't really get anything, um, you know, from her and why she's doing things and, and, uh, uh, any sort of like reasoning, um, you know, inside her head. I mean, I still think that her, her story arc with this book is very good. Um, but the end for her and what she did on screen was, um, it was, it just didn't sit well. Yeah. Jory, that, that's like a perfect segue into the comics. I'm going to touch on them real quick. Um, awesome. Yeah. I think it's great 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 point about the the perspective of the novel and yeah you're right like the, the damn book is called phasma but it's not really from her perspective um whereas the comic series is a four issue comic series that came out around the same time as the book in the journey to the last jedi publishing uh releases in in late 2017 um and it is basically from her perspective and i won't give away like the whole story, but it's also a really interesting premise. One, because it's from Phasma's perspective directly. And second, because it, it fills in a, a wonderful um, little niche in, in her story that um, having been a new convert to the whole comic world of Star Wars, I'm really starting to appreciate the way the comics take little bits in between some of the movies and, and fill them in in interesting ways. Welcome. And so, yeah, the, the, the whole premise of this, this series is, um, as we see in The Force Awakens, they, you know, um, Han and Finn and Chewie capture her, force her at, at blaster point to lower the shields at Starkiller Base so that, you know, Poe and the X-Wings and everyone can come in and blow the thing up. Uh, and so the whole premise of this four issue comic series series is uh, Phasma covering her tracks to make sure that nobody else in the first order finds out that she was the one who lowered the shields. Again, it fits really nicely in the, 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 the novel of like Phasma always looking out for Phasma is number one and everything the classic else Phasma. Is, is, subs- <laughs> is subservient to that. Um, so it's, it's a great little adventure. Um, and she what's also interesting about uh, it is it, 
mirrors the book in a certain way in that she ends up, uh, in order to cover her tracks, um, she ends up on a planet that's not Parnassus. It's called Luprora, I believe. Check my notes. Yep, Luprora. And it's basically a planet in a similar condition uh, to Parnassus where it's um, a little cut off from the, the technology there's, there's a population that seems to be kind of stranded on it. It's a rough environment. Um, so it has, um, th there's moments where Phasma thinks like, oh, this, this has a familiar feel to it. So, um, and I read the, the comic series a year ago or so, um, but it didn't have as much impact on me not having it coupled with the book now, but it was really great to go back through it after having read the book and see how it connects. And, um, there's only like one panel that has Siv in it, but she, at one point, um, Phasma also has a, fat, a flashback where she remembers Siv, and it's only like a panel or two in the comic book. Uh, but overall, a quick, enjoyable series, uh, and it, it helps reinforce some of the themes of Phasma from the book uh, in fun ways. And like I said, also fills in that fun little niche about what happened to Phasma right after The Force Awakens. I have a question. Does Phasma ever take off her helmet in the comics? She does, what? and that was a little bit, that, that's a really funny point. It felt a little contradictory to the, some of the content in the book where she, like, she almost never did. There, there's one scene, at least I think in the comics, where she does take her helmet fully off in the presence of somebody else, oh. which seemed, it felt Vulnerable. a little contradictory to some of the stuff in the book. Um, good Mandalorian tie-in too. Mm -hmm. like that yeah, one, the helmet yes, off, yes. Yeah. I don't know, that was like, that was something that I really liked about the description of Phasma was how she kind of used her, that new armor as like, it was, oh, to me, it seemed like she was like dissociating herself from the things that she was doing by hiding behind that armor and she would never take it off. And I think that was a point that was made a couple times or a few times actually in the book where she just wouldn't take her helmet off except for, I guess, when she was talking to Brendel. So that's interesting that she took it off in the comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one thing I want to touch on before we talk about Easter eggs, just real quick. Um, has I, You guys have a lot more experience, I feel like everyone at the table, than me with Star Wars outside, like the Star Wars universe outside of the movies. I mean, I've read Aftermath, but that's it. <laughs> and I read one Great of the series. Kylo Ren comics. Um, but the Constar Mining Company. Mm -hmm. So they mentioned, Brendel mentions that they're still active and they contribute a lot of money or they, you know, they're they're quite a wealthy company and they're still active. So, ha are they mentioned in any other Star Wars media at all? Are they in any other books? Are this is my first book. So, Luke, Paige, Jory, I don't remember hearing about them, but I had to look them up on Wikipedia. So, so was there any evidence of them being elsewhere on there? I don't, I don't think, think so. I, don't, I, I can look it either. up. Do we look it up? Uh, Michael, can we get a fact check? Yeah, guys, I got that. <laughs> Keep talking. I'll Great. fact check. I've, okay. I've, I thought... I've read probably 50% of the new canon um, novels, um, and I have never heard of Comstar. Yeah. Um, and I, so, I mean, I can't say that for sure, um, but I have never heard them in any other other novels. I thought that they used them well as the perfect example of the way that the First Order is going. So they went to this planet to mine mm -hmm. its resources. They decimated the planet and then left it on its, you know, to yep. fend for itself. And Brendel was like, well, we want the Constar Mining Company around, so, like, we don't care. And it was just a very good example of the First Order saying, mm, 
this is just how it goes. Like, the, this is yeah. the way. It kind of feels <laughs> real, honestly. Yeah, like, it does. if you think about it in terms of things that are, that we see here, Michael. Can I just say that was funny, Ashley's reference to the Mandalorian, this is the way. Uh, that was, did I only hear that? No, no I heard it. Okay, <laughs> no, I perfect, heard it too. Perfect. Thank God, I'm not alone here. So a little fact, a little, you guys want to know a little summary from Wikipedia about the, the Constar yes. mining? Um, we're going to figure out this audio thing too, guys, by the way. <laughs> just give me another week and I'll figure this out. <laughs> Uh, the Constar Mining Corporation was a key galactic-wide mining company active in the time prior to the Battle of Endor. 100 years before the New Republic era, Constar abandoned the formerly lush mining world of Parnassus. Yeah. Yeah. Fil- following a nuclear disaster, leaving the population to eke out a uh, primeval existence by the time of the New Republic, they were still operating. So there's not a ton of history yeah. about okay. that. So it sounds yeah. like it came from this book. Yeah, right. yeah. But it does sound like that. But, yeah, um... I actually, I think that was a really great point that you made about how it's a really good example of kind of how they come in, take what they need, and they leave. And it destroys the population on the planet. It causes all these radiation problems, which they had to deal with when they were walking through the desert. And it's something that they're aware of. Yep. They know it's happening, and they don't care. They don't care. Yeah. We they're don't see it. Not anything. my problem. Right. We don't live there, so we don't care. <laughs> Brett confirmed. He said, I don't think they were mentioned anywhere else. Probably a first order shell company. (laughs) (laughs) One of Palpatine's companies from before, maybe Plagueis, which they were business guys. So that that totally makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think that's really good. I'm sorry to cut you off, Luke, uh, with the Plagueis thing. I mean, obviously he's not um, canon yet, but uh, I mean, that would be a pretty cool tie in if it was. I agree. Make it canon. That's a hashtag. <laughs> yeah, well, in almost every one of these novels, as you dive into more, if you haven't yet, there's aspects of them that are completely unique. I think the author bringing their own thing to everything. And then there's the parts that tie in. And and for those of us in, in the nerddom um, who are always craving the tie-ins, looking for them everywhere we can, sometimes it's a little disappointing that there, there's not as many Um but if I could, I'd like to throw out some of my Easter eggs that yes. do provide some yes. fun tie-ins. Let's hear them. Um, page 102 of the, um, the the hard copy, There's um, I took it as a, as a reference to Anakin and a sand joke. Um, I yes. think it's when they first kind of get to the, the, the desert portion of things, and um, Torben is talking, and he says, I've never walked on sand. What's it like? Phasma's people <laughs> look to her, but she nodded to Brendel. Uh, it shifts under your feet, coarse and rough, <laughs> irritating, <laughs> gets everywhere, slips into your clothes and boots. So um, that's like, yeah, gosh, one of the main yeah. prequel yeah. memes, right? The whole sand. Yeah. It's, it's so sandy. Coarse, yeah. it gets everywhere. I had that one. Uh, I had that one in yeah. my notes, too, because I was like, that's a nice callback. Yeah, in 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 the sort of the end of the book, um, Delilah Dawson's like acknowledgements or whatever. She talks about being a huge fan, which I think most of the authors are, but yeah. it just makes sense that somebody that connected could throw in a fun little reference. It's literally two lines on one page of a 400 page book, but it like, it stands out because like it's, it's an insider mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and then the, the two, two more real quick that I, that I noted there's, there's like a Mandalorian helmet reference on one of the pages, and almost to me it sounds like a Sabine helmet reference uh, from Rebels. It's on page 158. They're at the um, the first Constar station they get to, 
where um, Brendel gets medical treatment and stuff, and they kind of get out of the desert for the, the first time. They're going through some of the equipment, um, and um, Phasma's picking out a new helmet, and, and it says that um, it wasn't much like the smooth, rounded Stormtrooper helmets, beat up and painted in bright colors, which made me think of mm-hmm. Sabine. It had a black line across the eyes and another li- black line from the nose to the chin, Mandalorian yep. T-shape visor, uh, and a tiny antenna poking up from the top, the little you know, antenna you see on most of the Mandalorian helmets. Um, so that one s- stuck out to me, like what, somehow a Sabine helmet. Uh, and what would she be doing there? Constar mining station. <laughs> um, so again, I think just somebody who's like a deep and sweaty fan, just having some fun with it and the author. And my last one to throw out there, and we'll see if anyone else has any other fun Easter eggs to throw out. Um, I did not note the page on this one, unfortunately. Um, but for those of you who've read Aftermath, um, and she also appears in A New Dawn, and I think she's in a few comics, although none of the ones that I've read so far. Um, there's a reference to Admiral Sloan. Mm-hmm. Admiral uh, Ray Sloan. Um, Cardinal is lamenting to Hux at one point um, that she's not around anymore. And I, as far as all the canon material goes, I think Sloan's ultimate fate is, is unknown. She's in the Aftermath series, which takes place closer to Return of the Jedi, the formation of the first order um and then obviously by the time of the mo- the sequel trilogy movies we don't see her and i don't know that there's any canon material out there covering what she what she what happened to her eventually by the time of the, the sequel trilogy so that was a fun um reference that if you are a regular reader of all these things um something you might have picked up on those are great i the the sand one was the big one that stood out to me, which I'm sure stood out to everybody, but I did not, which this is embarrassing since I'm rewatching or watching for the first time Rebels. I did not think of Sabine when I read the helmet part. So that was really cool that you brought that up. But did were there any other Easter eggs that anybody else or any other references that anybody caught when they were reading it? No. Yeah. No, that was really great, Luke. I really liked that. Um, and I also didn't get a chance to read the comics, and I don't think anybody else has read them yet, but I definitely want to jump in and check those out. I think you said that there was one other comic out there. Yeah, there, there was another one in that Age of Resistance line, of just a one-off, and it was okay. It really just reinforced, again, this constant theme that um, Phasma's just out for herself, and she's willing mm-hmm. to kind of sacrifice anything for that. One thing I forgot to do that we were talking about the other day, Holly, was go back and watch. I think there's a deleted scene from The Last Jedi in the fight with Finn. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there is. Yeah. Hopefully people can back me up on this where um, I think they it, it ties into the comic nicely in that they get into the fact Finn talks about that she's the one who lowered the shield. And so in this in the deleted scene, she Phasma shoots a bunch of storm stormtroopers who are in hearing distance to sort of kill the people who are hearing Finn say this. Am I I remembering all that right? I think, yeah, I forgot to go back and and double check it, but it really lines up nicely with what what you see in the comic and in the books. too. Yeah. Which I kind of wish that they had put in the movie because I think that that's like a really important part. Um, at least if you're thinking in terms of Phasma, which I think that Phasma is kind of one of those mystery characters that people are like, do we need to know more? Do I want, this story and I think ultimately like yes 
Yes, we do, because it's fun to learn more about these characters who I think the other day Luke and I were talking about how much screen time does Phasma actually get? Probably 10 minutes, I think, between all the movies is what we thought. But there's so much more to that character that we just didn't know that now we think we know. But I think that that would have tied in really nicely to, yes, you, Brent. Can I ask? (laughs) Um, Brent. (laughs) That's funny. Um, We now got uh, Wes in the chat. Wes. He's watching from work. Props to him. (laughs) We Um, won't tell your boss. Another of our our friends there on Patreon, one Mm -hmm. of our patrons, so I'm, I'm really glad he's chiming in. Um, so he said he may have to step out quickly, and it's, it's not because we're terrible. We understand. Um, but can I ask you guys something? Uh, I read this book a while back, and no one probably cares. But um, it's been a while. But I recall thinking to myself after I read it, is, should we believe any of this? I don't know. That comes back to the question. Uh, Wes, you weren't here when we were talking about it earlier, but I said, is our narrator a reliable narrator? I don't know. I was inclined to believe it. Because to me, Phasma is this fantastical character, and I just don't... I mean, she's cheated death how many times now? Um, we know in in um, uh, Trevorrow's script that she survived. We see concept art from her surviving, right? I feel like she's just this mythical character that we really don't know what actually happens to her, and I feel like they did a great job by having Vi and Cardinal tell this story, mm-hmm. that it just adds an element to this her being this mythical... Did this even happen? Or is, is she just built up to be this superpower person and maybe she's not? I, I think if it didn't happen, I think that it was a really great tactic to kind of come in and disrupt the First Order and kind of make them be suspicious of each other and kind of like making them fall apart from the inside out, which ultimately we don't really see that happen in the movies down the line per se. Um I guess until the last movie, but um, I don't know if we should give any spoilers if people haven't seen it or haven't seen it for the second time, Luke. <laughs> I haven't either. Paige, so. gosh. Me neither. And, start and you know why. Honey. I know. You know why. But, shame. I don't know. More shaming me, Holly. I'm sorry. I know. Shame. 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 <laughs> Jory's in on it, Luke. I'm sorry. No, my part's going to have to be real because uh, Cardinal got the little container with the beetle yeah. on it. and mm-hmm. um, The poison... Nice. She wouldn't yeah, have reacted yeah. that way if it wasn't. Yeah, so touched ooh, a nerve. Vi, Vi has some internal dialogue that we see in the book where she admits to embellishing certain things mm-hmm. in hopes of swaying Cardinal for her own survival. So there's definitely elements of her being, she is admitting to being an unreliable narrator in some aspects, but there, I don't think there's any way for us to tell yeah. which parts she embellished and which parts she didn't because there's obviously some... Within the story, hard facts supported mm-hmm. by the physical things that Cardinal obtains that we talked about. That yeah. Ashley said the knife. Um, That's and, true. And the, the container of the beetle as well. So parts of it have to be real, but Vi, Vi does admit to at least embellishing yeah. certain parts. And, you know, something else, which this is going to be a spoiler for The Rise of Skywalker. So if you haven't seen it yet, stop listening. I am going to spoil it. <laughs> something for you. <laughs> You're listening an hour and a half in on a book. You probably have seen it. Hopefully, you've been warned. Something that stood out to me was how um, Phasma worked with Armitage Hux, who is the Hux that we know from the movies, as Brendel's son. And they kind of worked together to take Brendel down, it seems, from the book. 
And I was like, well, that kind of action from that character makes him being a mole in the rise of Skywalker a little bit more believable because I loved that in the rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. That was actually one of my favorite things. I don't know what it was about it, but I was like, I absolutely love that because Hux is one of those bad guy characters that I personally would have loved to seen come back time and time again. Mm -hmm. I just think like, I don't know what it is about his character, but I really enjoy him as a character. And that's saying a lot because I did not enjoy Kylo Ren and some of the other guys as characters. I'm sorry, Paige. It's fine. But but I think that knowing more about kind of the things that Hux has done made me kind of able to see how he would be a mole. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys even thought about that, but that's something that I thought when I was reading the book, and I was like, okay, I can kind of see that now. I also love Hux. You see? he's I love him because he's deliciously evil, and he I, has an ice blue couch. <laughs> I, like, blocked that part out from the movie, that he was the mole. You didn't like Why? That was, like, my least favorite part oh, like, no. of that movie. I hated it so much oh, no. because I also love Hux, but I love him as evil. this First Order, oh. like, to the bone man. But his and dad is the worst. Yes. But having him betray the first order like that upset upset me. But now you see him do it again in the book where he may have contributed to his own father's death. But I think yeah. he thought it was for the good of the first order. I think he thought that his father wasn't necessarily on board with what he thought the future should be. Mm-hmm. And so he was doing it mm-hmm. for selfish reasons because he wanted to be in control. I think he was probably yeah. doing it for selfish reasons again because he hated Kylo Ren. I think, because, yeah, Ashley, I agree with you. I think that he did it because, that, because he thought it was for the good of the First Order. And we could have a whole other episode about mm-hmm. Hux. Like, I would be yep. down for yep. that. Yep. But I do think that in The Rise of Skywalker, he also kind of thought that was for the good of the First Order if he could do anything to take down Kylo Ren. Yep. And kind of, like, either himself, I think ultimately he would have wanted himself to be the head of that, mm-hmm. like, supreme leader. But wouldn't have gone well because he's unstable. Ashley completely. <laughs> um, she definitely, uh, as far as like his his motivations. I mean, I think that that it definitely the way Ashley was just describing it um, makes sense. Um, and I don't know if you guys looked at Wikipedia at all um, in uh, for uh, Hux and then Brindle, um, but they actually used. Uh, uh, Donald Gleason's yep. dad, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, he <laughs> was actually Mad Eye Moody. I don't know if anybody knows yep. that Most from uh, from Harry <laughs> yes, Potter. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that was a good one. Was another, that a shout out to Swish and Flick? Another Harry Potter up. <laughs> Tiffany will be pleased. Yeah, just shout out to Tiff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> she didn't join the book club. That's okay. She's got other books. She does. Um, yeah. No, I guess. I guess it just depends on how you're breaking it down in the moment then. But that, but that's the cool thing about having these conversations is that everybody kind of interprets it differently and they can kind of read between the lines a little bit differently, which I kind of like because I think Jory said it earlier, it just depends on your experience when you're reading the book. Um, and I think that that was a really good way to put it. Can I ask a question? I'm going to because I'm controlling this. Setup, so I'm going <laughs> to ask a question if that's cool. And, and Jory, I want you to chime in because I know you're a big fan of the, aftermath series and i know a lot of folks here are as well we were led to believe that uh phasma was a child of jakku i don't know if you guys remember that the way they described her being tall with blonde hair this child that was being taken into the first order 
Um, I for sure thought that was Phasma, and I was like, wow, that'd be interesting to hear about Jakku more and how harsh it is, and it makes a lot of sense that she's so evil and, and tough. Um, and then this story just kind of, I, I don't, I, it just kind of changes it completely. So, Jory, were you a little disappointed by that, that you're learning this, or, or, or did you pick that up in Aftermath at all? Uh, definitely, before I read this, I, I was in the same wavelengths as you, um, but I do also think that it broadens the uh, Star Wars spectrum. Um, it makes the galaxy bigger, because there are, you know, with the galaxy, it's not just the the planets that we already know. There's also probably hundreds of other um, planets that are just like Jakku. Um, so that makes... It makes it to where the galaxy has just gotten even bigger, and I think that that's what they're trying to do with Star Wars. Because um, even in nine, you know, we went back to the same few planets that we know, um, which is great for the nostalgia reasons. Um, but it also is nice knowing that okay, there's people that are a part of this, um, whether it be with the Resistance or with the First Order that are not strictly from Tatooine or Naboo or, you know, these other these other plants that we already know. Yeah, and I, I like that, you know. I think that when Solo came out, I was like, I don't really want a Han Solo story. I don't think that I need this. But now that I'm starting to get into the books, I'm like, yeah, these are stories that I really want and I'm really enjoying because I want more. I want to know more about it. Um, so I think that that's really great that we're kind of getting to see a little bit more and we're learning about other planets that otherwise we wouldn't have known and we're learning about other people who live on these planets and how, you know, they might not be in the movies, but they are ultimately affected by everything that is happening in these timelines, um, which I think is pretty cool because otherwise, I mean, I get that those things wouldn't be real at the point in the movies until they were put into the books, but I just think it does give you more perspective and a better understanding of the galaxy and everybody that's in it. Um, and I think that's a really great segue into my final question, which is, did you guys enjoy the book? Did you guys like it? I liked it a lot. I really enjoyed reading it, and I'm super excited for next month. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, you know, echo that as well. Like I said earlier, the, the Black Spire novel didn't interest me because of my um, the, the small probability of me going to Galaxy's Edge in the near future. So I was like, I'll put that one off. But now it's one where I'm like, I didn't, I enjoyed her work, so she wrote that as well. So we'll probably pick that up in the near future then. Yeah. Jory, what did you think? Um, I actually kind of touched on this on the podcast that Mike and Nettie and I did. Um, this quickly became one of my favorite um, books uh, I thought it was extremely well written. I thought that the perspectives that we got, whether it be, you know, kind of a, a veiled perspective, um, you know, with whatever it is. Um, but I thought that it was extremely well told. Um, it captivated me. Um, I didn't have the hindrance of not listening to it, you know, uh, broken up, which I think obviously helped. But uh, it, it did it did wonders for me. Great. I Yeah, I agree with all of that, even though I read it broken up, too. Um, but I kind of felt like I was right there along with them. Uh, Paige, what did you think? No, I agree. I really liked it, too. Um, when I re-listened, I was able to listen for longer stretches. So that mm -hmm. helps a lot. 
Um, it was definitely different than the other books that I have read. So I enjoyed that. And I liked being able to see more of Kylo Ren and Hux and Phasma mm-hmm. for like the little time that we got. Cause I really loved like evil trio yeah. a, a lot. So I enjoyed it a lot. Michael, anybody in the chat? Yeah. Uh, Wes and Brent, uh, just, I think kind of all of us. And that's the first thing I thought after I read it months and months ago is that I was like pleasantly surprised. And that's, that's what Wes uh, said as well. He's pleasantly, pleasantly surprised, spent through it about a week. And, and Brent also said he definitely enjoyed it and wasn't expecting to, mm-hmm. um, which I think, I mean, cause we weren't that interested in Phasma yeah. at least, but now it's God, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, no, I, I have to say, and I've said this before, this is the first star Wars book that I have ever read. Um, I actually think it was mainly prompted by Ashley, who got the book for Christmas. Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> and was very excited about it. I think sent me a text about it. Like, I did. Either the Christmas day, day or the day yes. after. <laughs> uh, look what I got. And then I was like, you know what? I want to start a book club. And I wanted, I want us all to get together to talk about it. And I think that these are really fun experiences for us to kind of share together and talk about. So I am really excited to pick the next book and for everyone to get together again to talk about it. Um, yes. Can, you. I, can I say something really quick? You I, sure I, can. I, I have the mic on this one so everyone can hear it. Mm-hmm. I, for those of you guys listening on the podcast and on YouTube, I mean, thank you for, for joining us, but I have to say I have great friends. Okay. The, my friends here did not have to do this. I, I don't have any money to give them. Uh, they are here because they enjoy breaking bread and talking about something that we love and I cannot thank them enough for that. And, and I obviously owe them big time, but I hope, you know, this discussion has been well worth your time um, because these guys are fantastic. You're going to see more of them. And I also can't say enough about everyone uh, in in our group, but especially in our Patreon, Um, you know, we got Brent, Wes and Jory here tonight, Uh, just really stand up folks. And I know our other patrons couldn't make it tonight and I'm really hoping to have all of them on at once. Um, it's going to be the biggest happy hour on the web (laughs) and I cannot wait for that. Um, but I, I just had to say that like, I, I have great friends and this is so fantastic that they all uh, agreed to do it and wanted to do it. And I hope they continue to want to do it. Um, but they're also well-spoken, they're also intelligent, and they're fantastic readers, better than myself, and I'm so glad that I have people that can share in this galaxy with us, and I, that's, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. That's right. Thank you, Michael. Um, but yeah, I think a huge shout-out to everybody who's here, because I don't think that we would be having this kind of conversation if we didn't have everybody involved with it. Um, you could listen to Michael, Luke, and I talk until we're blue in the face about the things that we love about Star Wars. But I think everyone here brings their own special thing to this conversation. And I think it's such a fun thing to all get together and have these and then share it with everybody who's, you know, participating because they're part of the Patreon or wants to talk about it in the group. Um, I just think that, you know, sometimes the Star Wars fans get a bad rap because there's that toxicity in Star Wars that we all kind of want to dance around a little bit. But I think that it's important to know that we all love Star Wars and that's what we're showing up for. So really thank you for everybody who's helping us out and joining these conversations and supporting us, you know, day after day and week after week when we're putting these conversations out there. Um, So um, I will pick the next book and we will let you guys know what it is. But if there is something that you guys want to read or read along with us, please let us know. You know, you can send us an email, you can send us a message, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, all of that. 
you know, we want to hear from you and we want you guys to want to read along with us. Um, so if there is anything else that you guys want to hear or want to read, maybe we'll pick Black Spire for the next book. Who knows? Luke, I'm feeling inspired. <laughs> um, but I think with that, I just want to thank everyone for joining us for the inaugural book club meeting. I think it was a lot of fun having the conversation with everybody was really awesome. Um, so that's all I have to say. So thank you again for joining us. I think this was really great and we'll see you guys next time. As Michael says, may the force be with you.